Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, my show across the nation from my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, we got to talk about Biden and inflation more. To do that, I want to start with phone calls this hour. We got a number of people on hold who have been waiting patiently for me to get to them, and I want to begin with Greg. Welcome to the show, Greg. How are you? Hey, Eric. And first off, uh, continued prayers for you and your wife. For Thank you very your, much. Uh, good health there. Really that's, appreciate that's it. That's good news. So this runaway inflation train can really be explained in three really simple numbers, basic math. Um, you can go to covidmoneytracker.org and find out that between the federal government and the Federal Reserve, $10.3 trillion was spent on COVID stimulus. Well, our GDP in 2019 was $21.4 trillion. So we have spent in the past roughly 18 months, 48% of the peak GDP back in 2019. Mm -hmm. If that is not hyperinflationary, I don't know what is. And Larry Summers called it uh, way back in the beginning because he said we underspent coming out of 2008 and they overcorrected and way overspent this time. It, what's remarkable to me, Greg, is that the uh, Democrats pretend no one warned them, no one saw this coming. Uh, when Larry Summers, literally within a month of this administration taking office, was saying they were getting inflation. And I remember the dismissive nature of the Democrats at the time towards him, that progressives didn't like him. They had uh, what modern monetary theory telling them they could keep uh, spending as much as they wanted and raise taxes immediately if there were any signs of inflation, which they can't do. And here we are uh, with inflation still going up, though slower. I mean, that that's really the spin today from this White House, is that, well, it's slower than it was last the last several months, but yet it's still gone up. Um, it's It really is remarkable. Yeah, but when you look at the food and the fuel that impacts everybody day to day, filling up your car, groceries, restaurant, um, that is ex- expanding, increasing at a faster rate within this quote unquote slower number today. Yeah. Uh, and when your congressperson sees it and tweets about it, um, you know, maybe it's beginning to hit home. Yeah, and you know, I, I so let me let you go there. I appreciate that. I gotta, I gotta talk about that in the Katie Porter situation. Before I do, though, I gotta go to James. Welcome to the program, James. How are you? Hey, how's it going, man? Great. I'm enjoying your program. It's it's awesome. Thank you. First time I've been able to listen to you consistently. Thank you. Um, when do you think? Just your best guess. That we're, when we go, we're gonna skip the recession that we're in and go right into depression because there's just it's not a when it's it's our if it's a definite when. We can't keep spending like we do and and not expect it to come due sometime. Um, I will tell you, it's going to end badly for us. I don't know that we're going to have a depression. Uh, so a depression is when prices begin to collapse. And I don't know that they're ever going to come back down. Uh, if anything, we, we may be able to freeze inflation so wages continue to creep up without prices going up more, um, it would actually be how bad. Can we freeze it? How can we freeze it? 
Well, uh, so we we freeze it in large part if the if the Federal Reserve puts us into a recession, which they're probably going to. That's going to yeah. not necessarily cause a decline in prices, but will prevent an increase in prices, uh, just based on the manipulation of the supply and demand curve by res- restricting the amount of money in the economy. Um, there may be a depression, which would actually be kind of bad um, after if it didn't stay if it stayed too long. Now, the reason it wouldn't be bad at first, although we think of depressions as catastrophic, is because price wages are so much lower right now than prices. If prices came down and we could maintain wage rates, we would get to some level of balance. The problem is once you go into a free fall like that, it's very hard to stop it. Uh, the Fed would have to rapidly then cut interest rates again, and, and you get the seesaw effect of cuts cutting the interest rate, raising the interest rate, yeah, cutting exactly. and raising. Exactly. The pi- yeah, the pendulum swings back. But, yeah. like, okay, what I'm doing now is, is spraying the side of roads with chemical, you know, to retard the growth of, growth of grass. And, You're not allowed to say that word anymore, don't you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've heard that before. But, okay, but these chemicals that we use, I mean, from last year, for the last two years, what used to cost us, you know, $150 a, a jug is now $3,000 a jug. I mean, oh, jumped ooh. that much. I nearly said a bad word on and the radio. I don't exactly. They I don't understand how a depression is it's just inevitable to me. I don't I don't understand your theory of, of them being able to hold the prices down because they can't because if you're not making money like doing what I'm doing, if you're not making money, you're not going to do it. And they're going to put us all out of work. Yeah, look, I, I mean, we may very well get to that point. We're certainly in a stagflation point, I think, uh, where the economy's not growing, prices are going up, nobody's happy, everybody's miserable. Uh, we did that's do that, true, though. True. Keep in mind, we did that in the 70s under Carter, too. We didn't wind up in a depression. Uh, but what the Federal Reserve right. did is it raised interest rates high enough that it stopped prices from going up any further. Um, and, right. and wages ultimately caught up okay. to them. And how come and they always talk about this inflation and, and all this? How come they don't? How come they change the way they rate inflation from, like, say, when Reagan? That's when I started paying attention. Was in Reagan, one of the best presidents we ever had. Yeah. And you know, his his continued to go up when he first got elected because it took time for him to to, to get it under control. But I don't see that anybody can do that now. Period. I mean, it's what we've got. I mean, it's our own fault. We're electing these idiots. So it's our fault, yeah. really. But we, we get the government we deserve. The, the bubble's going to burst. Yeah, it yeah, is. I, no doubt about that. Um, and, and and you so, know, Rick Scott just mentioned so, – I'm sorry. No, no, no. Rick no Scott go ahead, just, go ahead. just a little something about, you know, maybe scaling back Medicaid and Medicaid and all that, which has really hurt us tremendously. Yeah, look, and we're, we're going to have to do okay, something yeah. to fix entitlements. Um that's going to bankrupt the country. But, we don't have the money. Yeah, one guy mentioned it, and look at it. You would think the entire Republican Party is just going to cut the old people's checks and all, and then never get another dime. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the outrage over Rick Scott's proposal, I think, is a little bit much considering what he's proposing. Look, i I, I got to let you go there. I appreciate it. Let me see if I can answer this one on the inflationary issue. Um, history time. How about How about we do history time here? I've mentioned this one before. I was actually reading a book on this. I'm fascinated by it. Uh, the Roman Empire didn't have the word for it. They didn't recognize what was happening. It took a while for uh, the ancient economists, such as there were, to try to, to really figure out what was happening. But the Romans had, were paid 
in gold and silver. I, I know there, there's a misconception about salt as a salary. Um, by the time of the Roman Empire, they're, they're, they're paying in, in gold and silver. And they didn't have enough of it. And what they wound up doing is mixing other metals in. Metallurgically, they were producing a gold coin that wasn't 100% gold. And the result was actually that they devalued their currency because your gold coin was no longer worth the same as an old gold coin. There were more of them produced so people could buy more stuff and prices started going up. The The Roman Empire suffered, in addition to the, the destabilizing political catastrophes they were having with the assassinations of the emperors, they were uh, destabilizing everything because prices kept going up. They had hyperinflation in the Roman Empire. And they didn't know enough to realize what was going on. They, they didn't have modern economics. It was actually Diocletian and into Constantine the emperor who started to realize every time we blend gold and silver with other metals to keep producing the coins at the rate we had been producing them, we have this happen. Maybe there's a connection there. They still never quite figured it out, but it was an economic problem. The same thing happens here when we produce a ton of extra currency, as we have done. And people have more money in their pocket to be able to spend. We spend. And prices on the supply and demand curve, prices have to go up. Uh, You have to have more people produce more things. That causes prices to go up. You have less of it. So they raise prices uh, to, to balance the supply and the demand. You have inflation. What the Federal Reserve is doing by making interest rates go up is they're making the access to money at the banking level more expensive, which restricts the supply of money into the marketplace. And they hope they get it right so that it stalls out the increase in prices as demand begins to slow down. So we still have a modicum of economic growth without actually having a recession. A recession is two quarters of negative growth. We've already had one quarter of negative growth unexpectedly. We could be in a recession right now. kind of feels like it. What you hope to do at a federal monetary level, because you have fiat currency, you kind of control the amount of it, you control the exchange of it, you control the rate of its production, and every country does this. That's why we're not going to go back to a gold standard. We're not going to back our currency based on a precious metal. We're just not. I mean, you you and I may think it's a good idea, but we're not going there. It's not going to happen. We have fiat currency. The Federal Reserve thinks it can control its production, its supply, its availability, and its cost into the banking system through the manipulation of interest rates, which it can do. The problem is that when the Federal Reserve begins to raise interest rates, it pushes us into a recession. It slows down the economy for a time by making the money more expensive, bringing a shock to the system where people kind of tap the brakes. And tapping the brakes, you know, if you're on the interstate and you slam on your brakes and then everybody behind you slams on your brakes, you can cause an hour backup where people drive by. They're like, what the heck? There's nothing here. Why were we stopped? Well, it's because an hour before someone slammed on the brakes, causing a cascading effect into the flow of traffic that caused caused essentially rapids, caused backups, causing traffic to reroute. 
The same happens when you slam the brakes on the economy by rapidly raising interest rates. You cause a backup. Eventually, it sorts itself out. And the way you hope it sorts itself out is that prices either freeze or maybe become depressed and go down a little bit. You hope not too much because then that causes other problems. But what you're hoping for is that prices go down or at least don't go up anymore. They freeze while wages continue to catch up to where prices are. You don't want people's pay to go up, but prices to go up so much more that it's actually a net decline in wages. And that, unfortunately, under Joe Biden's economy right now, that is what we have. Uh, People are actually losing money right now the way the market is going. Uh, Matt Stoller on social media has a, a the data Real average wage hourly earnings have decreased 2.6% seasonally adjusted between April of last year and April of this year. The change in hourly earnings combined with a decrease of 0.9% of the average work week resulted in a 3.4% decrease in real average weekly earnings. That's really bad. We're in this inflationary period where an unusually large share of Uh, is going into profits of companies as they get ready for bad problems ahead, and they're not pouring that money into wages. That, frankly, is, is we're being really impacted with airfares, the worst category for inflation, and that has a lot to do with fuel prices. And then there's Joe Biden's speech, and i got to talk about a speech. I wanted to take care of callers who have been waiting, uh, who had some good points to make. we got to talk more about what Joe Biden said yesterday because that in and of itself is an indicator that the Democrats are beginning to realize they can't fix these problems and disaster is upon them as a political entity. We're going to get to Biden and inflation. I got some some thoughts, some points I got to make, uh, but I need more time than what I have right here. And, and there's a historic milestone that I think is worth noting. I am an admitted fan of Apple products. I have I'm in studio today. Usually I'm in in my home studio. I have in front of me literally I, I've got my Apple Watch on. I have my uh 15 inch MacBook Pro with the new M1 Ultra chip in it. I've got my iPad Pro next to it, running the call screening software. I've got my iPhone next to it, just sitting over there. I'm an I'm an Apple guy. I, I ever since I was a kid. So when when I was a kid, I grew up in Dubai, and in first grade, 1981, I laid my hands on an Apple II. And by second grade, the Apple IIEs were coming out, and I was playing on, I was, my mind was blown as a kid. By seventh grade, um, the Macs were coming out regularly, the Mac 1, the Mac Plus. And then Apple also had the Apple II GS, which I love. The Apple II GS is probably to this day one of my favorite Apple products. And you could see that where the Mac was headed with the Apple II GS, and, and the Mac largely killed off the Apple II program. And I always wanted one. I, I was My family was the only family in my school growing up in Dubai that did not have a computer. And then I moved back to the States, and my parents finally decided it was time to get me a computer. When I think I was in 11th grade, I got a, a computer. It was a PC computer. Uh, Windows 3.1 ran on a, a, a DOS uh, graphic profile above the Windows, which was – 
not that stable at the time as it was coming out. I was never a Windows guy. I always liked my Mac. And, and the moment I could, I went back to Macs. And Steve Jobs had left. He came back. He revitalized it, introduced the iMac, and ultimately the iPod. And the iPod is really what profoundly changed Apple and started its trajectory. People think of the iPhone, but before the iPhone was the iPad, or not the iPad, the, the iPod. And I remember I, I had a, a second-generation iPod. I loved that thing. Had a little bit of hard drive in it. This was before flash hard drives. Had a little spinning disk hard drive in it, and it just worked. It played music. I could, I could run with it. I could take walks with it. You know, if you ran too much with it, it would skip because it was a hard drive inside of it. It was an incredible product. It made it easy, easy to use. And iTunes came out, categorized music and all. Well, I, I say all this to let you know this is actually a historic milestone. Apple today is announcing the end of the iPod. Believe it or not, they still sell them, the iPod Touch, but no longer. They're saying they're no longer going to make them. Uh, the company is giving up on the product that really revitalized it. Now on to the iPhone, and you know one day could come when they stop making the iPhone. It's it's kind of in the nature of that company to let things go by the wayside as they continue to innovate. They, that's one of the downsides of Windows is they keep backfilling to make sure that their prior customers can always be served, and Apple's like, nope, you need upgrade. Big difference in the companies. That's why so much Apple stuff just works as opposed to Windows stuff and Android stuff, Charlie. There is some breaking news. Um, a judge in New York has uh, held Donald Trump in contempt and says he will release the president from contempt findings in the New York Attorney General's probe if he will pay uh, the imposed fine. Gets him out of the other legal hot water there happening right now. Um, we need to spend a little more time on this Biden and inflation stuff. And I want to I want to go back to the speech. The speech is important. One one bit of the speech. This is President Biden talking yesterday about inflation and contrasting himself and the Republicans. And it's really important. The bottom line is this: Americans have a choice right now between two paths, reflecting two very different sets of values. My plan attacks inflation and grows the economy by lowering costs for working families, giving workers well-deserved raises, reducing the deficit by historic levels, and making big corporations and the very wealthiest Americans pay their fair share. The other path is the ultra-MAGA plan put forward by congressional Republicans to raise taxes on working families, lower the income of American workers, Threaten sacred programs Americans count on like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and give break after break to big corporations and billionaires. The ultra MAGA plan. Ultra MAGA man. The love child of Optimus Prime and Voltron is ultra MAGA man. Sounds way cooler than Grandpa Dementia. I, I, If you'll forgive me, I want to talk about this in a way that a lot of people aren't talking about it. Because I want you to note the lack of passion in his voice. Joe Biden is a passionate man. You've heard him talk about corn pop. You've heard him talk about Bo Biden. 
but it was just a very soft-spoken monotone speech comparing the the visions of America between himself and Ultra MAGA, which the White House says he came up with on his own. Ultra was not it. MAGA was in the teleprompter. Ultra was not. Ultra MAGA, it was Joe Biden's own invention. You'd think he would have been delighted in saying it, would have said something, but he just delivered it matter-of-factly straight, monotonous, no passion, checking the box months after very high inflation, they, they say something. Katie Porter, Democrat in Congress, is in a swing district. She's being highly targeted by Republicans. A lot of her, the, her own Democratic colleagues don't like her. Politico has the sympathetic piece where recently at the supermarket, she realized how much bacon cost. She's a single mother of three kids. Recently? I've been buying bacon this whole time. I could have told you a year ago the prices were going up. More than that. During COVID, prices were going up. Prices have stayed up high. Bacon is expensive. Pork is expensive. Beef is expensive. It has been for a while. It's not new, and yet she's like, "Oh my gosh, look at this price! We gotta, I gotta go talk to my Democratic colleagues and tell them." But they're clueless. They say it's not in the polling. Oh, baloney! So I want to talk about this in a slightly different way. I got involved in politics. 1993-94, grew up in Dubai, came back, went to school in rural Louisiana, graduated from a public school there, moved over to Macon, Georgia to go to Mercer University, my alma mater, uh, was interested in politics. I got encouraged to start the College Republicans at Mercer University. So I started the College Republicans at Mercer. And one of the things that we were encouraged to do was to involve ourselves in political campaigns, which I did. And I started working for a lawyer from South Georgia named Saxby Chambliss. And Rob Lieburn was his, became his chief of staff, was his campaign manager at the time. And I really, I, I had a knack for fixing computers and I'd go fix computers and I'd volunteer. I'd stuff envelopes. I would make phone calls. I would draft press releases all the stuff, they were short-staffed, and, and I helped, and it was a lot of fun, and Rob was great. The whole campaign staff was great. Drove the candidate and his wife around on occasion. It was a lot of fun. I loved it. And I was there. Had my computer plugged in in, in the ballroom of the, of the local hotel the night the big wave hit, was pulling information off the Internet forum in, in rudimentary fashion. The, the Internet didn't really exist that much at the time. You had a, had a modem. You were dialing particular numbers to get data in. It, it was old school. I was a young kid and I loved it. And I was there for the 1994 wave. The Democrats had held Congress for 40 years. The House, not the Senate. They had held the House for 40 years. Republican leaders, Bob Michael, was a very charming, nice guy from Illinois. But he just accepted Republicans would always be in the minority, and he never fought. It's kind of funny to hear people these days say, say uh, Trump fights, Trump fights. Uh, Gingrich, Newt Gingrich and the Republicans of 1994 were the original fighters. They fought. In fact, Gingrich became the whip. 
Bob Michael was the leader of the Republicans, and the conservatives were aggravated. He was a moderate Republican patriarch, and he didn't fight. He just got the scraps from the table, and and he and the Republican leaders of the day, they loved it, and Gingrich would go give these fiery speeches. Gingrich would take on the Democrats, and everybody ridiculed Gingrich. The media attacked Gingrich, and the Republicans, they swept in 1994. It was a bloodbath. I remember I was was in the, the, the campaign war room at the ballroom, and we could feel it. You knew something was happening. You knew the South was realigning. Bill Clinton was unpopular, marred in scandal. I'll never forget. I picked up the phone, and it was my hero. Bill Bennett was calling. And he wanted us to know the wave was coming. Now, in 1980, I don't have a memory of it, but I know how to read books. Ronald Reagan was battling Jimmy Carter in a very bad economy. And people were moving rapidly to Reagan. They they weren't really at first keen on him. He at first wasn't doing great. And then he he built more and more momentum. And by 1980, November, he had such coattails that the Senate flipped. Let me read you this from the Legislative Studies Quarterly. Senate Republicans awoke the morning after the 1980 election to learn that they had captured a majority of the chamber's seats and would organize the chamber for the 97th Congress. The victory was an unexpected reversal of partisan fortunes. Not in 26 years had Republicans controlled a House of Congress. The ensuing partisan transition on Capitol Hill, a rarity in modern times, was instructive to students of politics on at least two counts. First, it was a forceful lesson on what partisan control of a chamber means. As the first split in partisan control of the two chambers in a half century, it underscored for political scientists the reality of bicameralism, a textbook verified that is all too often glossed over. Subsequently, the Republican Senate played a dominant role in shaping and timing the legislative agenda, serving initially as linchpin for the Reagan administration's congressional strategy. Second, the shift in Senate control raised equally fascinating questions about the Senate's internal organization and management. The unfolding of the new Senate, with its emphasis on individual assertion, committee and subcommittee autonomy, professionalized staffs, and complex organization— had occurred under an influx of liberals over the 1959 to 75 period. What changes would be instituted by a more conservative party so long out of power? It was something they hadn't seen in 26 years. And then it went back to Democratic control shortly thereafter. But a lot of the Democrats then were not the hyper-progressive partisans. They were conservative Democrats from the South who would become Republicans. And then in 1994, the Republicans took it all something that hadn't happened in 40 years. And then in 2002 was one of the very, 
few midterms in American history where the incumbent president's party gained seats. Usually they lose seats. And then 2006, the major Democratic wave that swept Nancy Pelosi in. You had the sense ahead of time it was coming. You knew it was coming. You kind of knew in 2002 Bush was going to do okay. In 2006, you knew it was going to be a bloodbath for the GOP. In 2010, I was on CNN by then, been in politics for a while, and you knew behind the scenes the camera would go off, the Democrats on TV puffing up the Democrats, arguing that they were going to do okay, they had mitigated the damage off. off the, the moment the camera stopped, they're like, my gosh, we're toast. Same in 2014. In 2018, the Republicans knew it. The Republicans knew the Democratic wave was building. And in 2020, it looked like a Democratic wave was coming towards the end, though. You kind of felt like, wait a second, the Democrats have overplayed their hands. The country's swinging back. We're going to be okay. I say all of this. I give you this history of this perspective. Because for 50 years, Joe Biden has been in Washington, D.C. He's been there. He was there in 1980 in the Senate when for the first time in 26 years it flipped to Republican control. Inexplicably. No one expected it to happen, by the way. That, that, was, that was an anomaly. People did not expect it to happen. Those senators who flipped it and turned it to the Republican Party six years later were all out of office, almost every one of them. They were called accidental senators. To this day, if you refer to the accidental senators in history classes, political science classes, you are specifically referring to the Republicans elected to the U.S. Senate in 1980. But Biden was there for that. He was there for 1994. He was there for 2002. He was there for 2006. He was there in the White House then for 2010 and 2014. He was there in 2016. He was out of power looking in in 2018. He's been there the whole time. I say all of that to say Joe Biden knows what it feels like. If you're not in politics, if you're not regularly in politics, I can't really describe it to you. But you have a feeling it begins in your gut and settles into your consciousness. Something is coming. You can feel it. Things feel different. Some elections... They're kind of at, at par in, in, in golf, you'd say, you, you, right where you expect everything to be. Nothing's really changed. There's kind of a neutral balance. You kind of feel it. It's just a, it's, it's your kind of run-of-the-mill election. And sometimes elections feel that way. But then there are years like this, and there's a feeling in the air. It, it, it does become, as I said earlier, it, it's checkers, not chess. There's one issue. It's the economy. It's the economy that matters. It's the economy. It's, it's the big thing, the economy. You feel it. And you know it and you intuit it. I say all of that to say Joe Biden gave that speech yesterday. It was passionless. It was run of the mill. It was too late. His heart didn't seem in it. It was monotone and soft-spoken. There was no fire in his belly. There was no passion to argue he really cared. There was no real empathy in his voice. This is a man who's been in Washington for 50 years. He knows what it feels like for the water to be pulled unstoppably, inexorably out to sea to build the tsunami, the giant wave that comes in and changes everything. 
He knows that feeling. He's been there a long time. I know that feeling. I've been in politics long enough to know the water is being now pulled out to sea. There is no dam. There is no seawall. There is no break. There is no nothing that can be done at this point. The momentum is building. You can feel it in the air. You can feel it in the water. Joe Biden knows the feeling. His team knows the feeling. The tsunami is building a Republican one this time. And you can tell it by how passionless his passionate speech on inflation was. Doom is coming for the Democrats. And he knows it. Doom, unfortunately, is also coming for your retirement fund because of Joe Biden and the Democrats, which is why the tsunami is building. I have for a very long time been hesitant to ever endorse precious metals because it really, I don't think, has been a good fit for people in the last 40 years because the stock market and the bond market has done so well. But we're back to the Carter economy. And you know what? In the Carter economy, precious metals was where it was at. And so now it's time for me to find a good company that may be a good fit for you to help you with your planning for retirement and adding precious metals to give some stability to your 401k, your IRA, and other retirement savings. Call Gold Co. 855-904-5933. They'll give you a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings, and many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. So call my friends at Gold Co. Find out how you qualify for their special offer. They've helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes. They may be able to help you too. Text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, my name, text Eric to 33777. I will send you back Gold Coast toll-free number. You don't have to write down their number. Just remember, text Eric to 33777. I'll get you their info. Call them and see if they're a good fit for you. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. You know, I, uh, this, this aggravates me greatly. Um, a guy lost a fantasy football league and his punishment for losing the fantasy football league is he had to play a U.S. Open locals tournament and it ended badly. Uh, let me, let me read you this text message about it. Played at the U.S. Open local today, teed off on the first hole. One of my playing partners wasn't there. We wait a minute, get word he's on the wrong tee, comes over to hole 10, hits tee shot 10 feet, five over after two. His caddy looks at us and goes, we're sorry. He lost a fantasy football bet and his punishment was to play. Absolute joke to me and my playing partner. Terrible punishment, not fun to play with. Uh, Hell of a story to tell now. The, uh, The guy was a disaster. Um, really was a disaster. Now, let me tell you, um, I am a terrible golfer. I hope to get good at it. I'm going to get good at it. But what a disaster this guy was. And, I, you know, it just, we've, we're at a point, this is just indicative of a larger issue here, where people don't take anything seriously anymore. You're... You're you're at a at a golf tournament for the U.S. Open, and 
you're going to screw up and inconvenience everybody else because you lost a fantasy football game. People don't take anything seriously. This is just indicative of, of the, the much bigger issue. Um, it is Americans don't take stuff seriously anymore. We elect politicians who piss off the other side, not because their policies are good, but because they make the right people angry. We have degraded culture around us. We just want to own the left. We want to own the right. We want to own the other side. We want to make everybody else mad. Uh, Nothing is serious anymore. We get the politicians we deserve when we act like that. 